And the first thing that we did, of course, was Google my, my biological mother's name. There was no biological father at the birth certificate. So we Googled her name, and the first thing that we found was her um, high school picture. And in the face, like I have her, I have her nose, I have her, I have her eyes. In the face, we look almost exactly alike. Welcome to today's episode. I am honored to have with me Dana Ozak. She is an adoptee from the Ohio area. She was born in St. John's Hospital in Cleveland in the 70s and adopted through Catholic Charities. Welcome to the show, Dana. Hi, thank you, Lisa. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump in a little bit here and tell our listeners a bit about your adoptee story and journey. I always knew I was adopted from from day one. My mom and dad um, took me home on my mom's birthday. And so she she tells me like a lot of times that it was like her the best birthday present that she ever got. She was told that she wouldn't be able to have children at all. She suffered several um, miscarriages. Little did she know, um, a couple years later, um, three years later, she got pregnant with my sister. My sister was born perfectly fine, no issues. And then seven years after that, she had uh, another another child, she, my brother Matt. Much later on, I found, my, I found my biological family. I found out they have a total of four brothers and one sister. Well, you know, I find your front end of your story very interesting because we have a lot of parallel in our journeys. We're about a year apart in age and we have the similarity of infertility and someone adopts and then they learn uh, later they can have a child and then it'll never happen again. And then a few years later, it happens again. So we have that in, in common. And I remember when we were prepping for this episode, it was just like one of the key things I thought, well, that binds us a little bit because it's nice to yep. have commonality and someone yeah. that understands that journey or that portion of the journey anyway. Well, how about you tell us a little bit about as you were growing up, how you approached life as an adoptee under the premise that you've known for as long as you can remember? I, since my parents never ever kept it a secret from me, I didn't believe this should be kept like a secret from the from the rest of the world. So it's like, you know, just about everybody they talked to knew that I was an adoptee. And I do remember one time when I was in grade school, I went to Catholic grade school, I was um, bullied by one of the boys in my class who um, told me, that, no, 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 there's no way that you're, you're adopted. You look too much like, you're, like your mom and dad, like your sister and your brother. There's no way. And he actually wanted to see proof that I was adopted. And I told that to my mom. I was just like devastated because I was, I, I don't know, maybe I thought that I was like a little bit proud of the fact that I was adopted. And over here, like, you want to see proof that I was adopted? Why should, I, why should I show that to him, you know? And my mom's over here, like, you know what? Just ask him for proof that he was born, you know? <laughs> so um, I was never ashamed of it or, or, or afraid of it and everything. I thought I thought that it was cool. And I was never treated, like, different from the rest of my family. I was treated equally. My mom and dad were more of a protective of me versus my brother or sister. And I've talked this over with like several family members. I was like the the oldest a girl, so um, I got I couldn't get away with as much as my as my brother and my sister as my brother and my sister could. My sister got away with like a lot more than I did, 
And then my brother, my my parents would have let get away with murder and everything, you know? Yeah, it's interesting how that works. Birth order, and then you put on the layer of adoption. It is a, mm-hmm. a really unique dynamic. And I have often wondered if those are the family members where you should be talking about or studying the nurture versus nature aspect of it. Yeah, because, you know, I I just think back to my own childhood, and we were raised by the same people. For the most part, we were raised with the same rules. I would agree with you, you know, in in the construction of birth order, uh, I didn't get away with a whole lot. But I always attributed that to being the oldest not necessarily being the oldest, only girl and adopted. Yeah, very interesting. Well, as you were going through just kind of normal childhood in in the context of the definition of as normal as possible, not getting too deep into that, tell us a little bit about how you felt in terms of your biological family and did you want to find them? And when that decision came forth, how did you approach it? I know I was always curious. But I didn't have, I didn't know how how to go about doing it at all. When I was part of like a group of where they blocked off like um the um the birth certificates, and my mom and dad got an amended birth certificate with their name on it. I didn't even know how to how to go about like looking. I didn't know what steps do I take, where do I go, and I didn't really get like super super curious about it until until I got pregnant. And I wanted to know for the for the sake of you know like for the sake of my kiddo and everything you know, what what do I have in my health history what I needed to know more than I want to say like um, seven or eight years ago the state of Ohio finally opened up the original birth certificates to the to the children born in the 1970s and when I saw them I read them online and I'm over here like I need to do this I need to know and. The first person that I called was my mom and dad. And I'm over here like, I, I don't want to do this without you, okay? But I feel like I need to, like I have to know. And my mom is over here like, Dana, I always knew that this day would come. And she goes, if you want to do this, I'm I'm 100% behind you. If I were in your shoes, I would want to know too. So we paid like, like $10, like registered letter in the mail and everything, sent away for it. Three weeks later, I got my original birth certificate with my birth mom's name on it. My husband opened the mail that day. He was all excited for me and everything. We opened it up together. And the first thing that we did, of course, was Google my my biological mother's name. There was no biological father on the birth certificate. So we Googled her name. And the first thing that we found was her um, high school picture. And in the face, like I have her, I have her nose, I have her, I have her eyes. In the face, we look almost exactly alike. There was no doubt in my mind that she was my biological mother. And then the second thing that we found was her um, obituary. So I was crushed. I thought, you know, yeah, where do that, I go from there? So, yeah, and that's a that is a crushing moment to to get to that point and and know that you're not going to be able to talk to the person or be given that mm-hmm. opportunity to ask the the multitude of questions that we typically have as we're going through this. Just to dev summarize a little bit in this and maybe ask one more question just around that time period. The picture of your birth mother, was that really your first time looking at someone that looked like you and seeing the genetic mirroring? Was that your first opportunity? Oh yeah, definitely. I was always told that I look a lot like my um like my adopted mom. 
And I kind of see it too, because we have like the same eye color and everything. But then when I saw the picture, it's just like, oh my God, it was just, it was a, a shock and a surprise. And just like all those, all those emotions, it was just like looking in the mirror. Yeah, it definitely can be a little bit unsettling. I I can relate to that as well. You have the original birth certificate. We call that the OBC. You have a name. We Google, we get a picture, we get an obituary. Where did you go from there? Reading through the obituary, after like the initial shock, I saw that I had a sister out there. I had a, a half sister. And I also saw that I had an aunt that was still alive. I got her name and everything, and I used Cuyahoga County, um, Ohio voters registry to look up her address online. And I sat with the information. I went to sick for like a good year. I didn't know how to how to write her. I didn't even know if she knew about me or not. I didn't know how to contact her, how to reach out to her. And then it was New Year's Eve, and I just thought to myself, you know, I got to do this. I have to do this now. My only resolution that year was to um, to write a letter to, to my Aunt Jill. So I sat down, I wrote, I wrote the letter out. I got like um, really good feedback from some family and some friends about it. And um, so I wrote it up, mailed it to her, sent her a picture of myself. There was no denying, just to prove, maybe just to prove to her that, that I'm not making this up. And I heard back from her within like, um, I want to say like five days. She called me like five days after she got the letter. And she told me, um, Dana, I kind of had like suspicions growing up because she was a lot younger than my biological mother. I kind of had some suspicions growing up that something was going on. And yes, I am your aunt. You do have a sister. You have a lot of cousins out there. And she goes, aunt, I think I might possibly know who your biological father was. So she gave me a name right around that time. Since there wasn't a, a name for my biological father, I asked my husband if he, if he could get me an um, ancestry DNA kit for my birthday. He did, and um, I didn't get any hits off of it at first, but I used the database part of it to look up the name of the biological father that my aunt Jill gave. And after I did that, I found his death certificate, too. He had passed away as well. That's kind of a brick wall. Yeah, it was pretty devastating. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a brick wall. Well, how did you start working around the things that you found along the way up to this point? Well, my aunt Jill gave me um, some information on some of my cousins, and I uh, reached out to them and um, found like a few of them on, on Facebook. I had messaged my biological sister. I don't know if she even got like the, the first message that I sent her. I didn't hear from her like um you know like until like a little bit later. I reached out to one of my cousins. His um, dad reached out to me and, and he goes, um, hi, Dana, um, I think I have like a little bit more information for you regarding your biological father and everything. You want to meet up for dinner? And I'm over here like, yeah, that would, that would be awesome. And so we met them for dinner. Um, he was very kind, very nice. He gave me a, a family tree. And then he was like um, very, very interested in ancestry and and everything, and he asked to see my DNA profile, so I showed it to him. And um, a couple days later, he, he calls me. And he goes, Dana, the more I thought about it, you would have more um, more Eastern European if this guy Mita was your biological father, because he was straight up from from Serbia. He had emigrated from Serbia. I thought about that. I thought about that, and I looked up through my DNA account one more time. It can't hurt to do um, another search, and I found a parent-child match for. Um, 
John J. Well, and I'm sure that was a very stunning moment. Under all of the other research you had done, the direction your maternal aunt had set you on, now you're shifting and there's a human who's alive. Alive, yeah. He lost access to his, to his ancestry account, so he didn't have like the, the, the paid version anymore. But he wanted to um, leave me like little little breadcrumbs. He left me the link to his, to his LinkedIn profile. You know, I think he was kind of like waiting for me to contact him. I didn't know how to contact him. I didn't know exactly what to say to him. So um, I called my uncle. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to contact him. I don't know if he even knew about me. I don't, you know, how do I contact this this um, John this John guy? Uncle Steve goes, so Dana, do you want me to contact him for you? I'm over here like, yes, please. So it turns out that they actually went to the same college together. Uncle Steve was able to get his contact info through the alumni, and he called him for me. Um, within like maybe about like five five days later, I was in, on Saint, close to St. Patrick's Day. His wife called me back. Um, back then, I had a really bad case of laryngitis. I could barely talk, probably from my kids up at work because I'm I'm a I was a, a toddler teacher at the time. And she goes, um, Dana, I don't want you to talk. I just want you to listen because I know that you're not, you know, your voice isn't up to it. She said, um, Uncle Steve, talk to your, um, to your biological father. He's always kn- known about you or at least had like, like some hints about you. He does want to reach out to you and call you, but he has a lot of family members that he wants to tell first. You have four brothers, four half-brothers through him. My biological father called me like on uh, right on St. Patrick's Day, we talked for like a, 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 a good like um, hour or two. He told me that when my biological mother was pregnant with me, he met her for lunch because he was getting ready to move away. And um, so I met up with her. He knows that she was pregnant. And she told him, oh, you know, don't worry about this. It's not yours. She also told him that right there and then she, that she just had decided that she was going to give me up for adoption. She brushed him off. He Went off, moved away, got married, had my four half-brothers and everything. But, like, in the back of his mind, he always wondered. And he didn't know for sure until he got that DNA test. It turns out that, that both him and his wife got DNA tests for Christmas. I got mine for, for my birthday. So that's why I didn't show up right away. That's why we had to, to wait and everything. And then little by little, I started getting hold of like my other family members of my of my brothers. They were wonderful. They were welcoming. My youngest half brother, Jason, who I just um recently lost. He just recently passed away. He told me um right off the bat, Dana, I always wanted a sister. He said, growing up in a house with like um with four four brothers, all I ever wanted was a sister. And I told him, Jason, you have me forever now. I'm you know I'm not going anywhere. And my Brothers were very welcoming. I met a cousin who's a truck driver who travels all over the place and everything. She was very welcoming. Well, I think we're going to touch on a couple different things from that portion of your story. The first is you making connection to your now for sure, for sure, biological father, (laughs) learning that you actually come from a fairly sizable family that are accustomed to all their cousins and their aunts and their uncles. But for adoptees, we have a tendency to be a little overwhelmed by those, the number of people. Yeah. You have some sadness in your story. You touched on it a little bit. 
And so I'd like to give you some opportunity to talk about your brother, Jason. It is a recent event. Why don't we just take a few moments and pay some tribute to him and give you opportunity to talk about him. Thank you for that. Jason was outgoing, outgoing, just very, very um, loving, just very caring. His last text to me was me and my husband were up in Detroit for the Metallica concert. And he was, he was worried because, um, one of his friends had um, moved from Detroit that, um, down down to Key West and everything, and, and he goes, Dana, you know, I, I'm I'm worried about you. It's not safe over there. Make sure that you don't bring a purse to the concert, and make sure that you always look around. So that just that just goes to show the kind of person that he was. He was always looking out for like for like everybody else, and just outgoing. And my husband told a story. Um, he went down to Orlando. Um, once for work and I couldn't go because I had to work and um, so my husband just met up with with them and they went to like um, uh, I think like a like an Applebee's bar together just hanging out at the bar and, and Jason's just like sitting there chatting up the the waitress like he could talk to anybody and it's we met six years ago at, at Christmas we we um, traveled down to Key West and he told me that, like, um, it was this Christmas present that year. And Christmas is very, very hard for, the, you know, the whole holiday season is going to be hard now because Jason loved Christmas. So it's hard with us. Let's take a, a brief minute and allow you to collect a, a little bit of your thoughts. And, <laughs> you know, I'm glad that you had that opportunity through this journey to find that person and to find those siblings that truly embraced you and kept you close to their heart and allowed you to build that bond that you're talking about. And, you know, our condolences to you and your family for that loss. I know it is not something that anybody wishes for us learning and making connections. So again, well wishes to your family and condolences. We always, um, me and Jason always talk that, um, that we felt like we were ripped off on time. You know, like us finding each other, like like later. And, um, Jason never got to see my kid when he was younger. Um, all my brothers weren't at my wedding, so it's like we felt like we were ripped off on time. I don't think that that six going on seven years was enough time to spend with. Like I would give anything for for more time with them, but I'm I'm kind of trying to straddle like the the whole grief with gratefulness thing. Of course, I'm I'm grieving my brother. How could I not? But I'm grateful for the time that we did get together. Like when, when I look back and I see all the stuff that we did together, everything from he really wanted to see the Christmas story house when he came up here for, for, for Cleveland. So we flew to, to the Christmas story house together. When we were down in, in Key West, we went to go see their Hemingway house together. All the things that we did together, you know, all those wonderful memories. That's that's what I hold close to my heart for always. It's okay to be grateful for the things that we do have. It's okay to find joy in those. I'm looking, you know, into the next few years. I want to find joy in this process. I do not want to be in what I call the abyss forever. Because yeah. if you think too far down in the abyss, you can't get up and everything. So I have, I still have like three wonderful brothers. I'm very close still to Jason's husband, Chad. So it's like, we're still in, in touch and, I, and I'm checking in on him because it's like, I'm really worried about him. Jason had a twin brother, Jeremy, and I'm constantly checking in with him and making sure that he's okay because, you know, they were, they were identical twins. They had like that, 
you know, the intense fun that nobody else had. Um, Jeremy told me just like a couple of days ago, you know, he looks in the mirror now and it's just him. So and I tried to, to tell him, it's like, no, you know, you, you got us too. You got all your, your siblings who love you and everything. I know that I know that it's not the same as having um, Jason with you, but, but you do have support and you do have family. As you move forward and continue to grow in those relationships, can you talk about some of the changes, how you view yourself or how you view your identity? Biggest change is I kind of like learned that like maybe I'm like a little bit of both uh, the nurture and the nature because I did find out that my um, my biological grandmother was a school teacher for for many years she was a substitute teacher and I'm a preschool teacher I did also meet up with my with my sister and when I finally did meet up with my half sister we sat there and we had like a like a good discussion on Tim Burton Burton movies and everything because she's she got like the whole spooky side to me and everything. So it's like I, I found out that it's not necessarily one, one or the other. It's, it's both. I'm the person that I am. And I have all this love in my heart because of how I was raised from my genetics background, you know. So let's talk about what is on your horizon. You have been working on a memoir. I have. So tell us just a little bit about that activity, where you are headed with that. I am working on a memoir called A Girl and Her Four Families, because I don't believe I'm just like the sum of one family. I I believe that like um, I'm a sum of like all these wonderful um, families who made me who I am. So I'm including like a little bit of info about, you know, the family that me and my husband created together, the family that I married into, my adoptive family, my maternal family, and my and my paternal family. I believe that, that all that is the sum of who I am. Give me a little bit about your why. Why did you want to write a book? What is it that you want it to do for not only maybe yourself, but others? Basically, I wanted to write a, a, a book because I know that there's a lot of adoptees out there who might want to know, but that they're afraid. They have that, like, that fear of like, you know, the, the whole fear of re- rejection. What if, what, what if my biological family rejects me? And I was very lucky and blessed on that because it's like I never, I, I didn't see any of that, you know. But um, I wanted to kind of give them hope that even though I went through the whole roller coaster of emotions with thinking that my biological father was 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 dead, and, you know, finding out that my, my biological mother w- was gone, and now even with with um with losing my brother, I wouldn't have traded like any of the experiences. I wouldn't have traded any of that for the, for the world and everything. You know, I think that it, it changed me like in a positive way. I just want to, I want to tell the, the world that, you know, don't let fear hold you back. Don't, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to try it. I think those are very salient points and good things for adoptees to take into consideration based off of your lived experience. As we, uh, as we were working to kind of close out, I like to talk about connection to community. What are some of the ways you're connecting to the adoptee community? A lot through um, through Facebook. I'm involved with um, a bunch of like adoptee um, groups. And when I lost my, when I lost my stepbrother and everything, I found like 
droves and droves of support who understood, you know, what it's like to, to be chi in a time with a with a family member and everything and lose them to connect with them like like that and then to lose them. So all of them are just wonderful. I've never had like a negative experience in any of the, the groups that I've belonged to. It's all been pretty positive. Facebook and some of the groups are great catalysts into the community and finding connection. It's nice to be in fellowship with people that get it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It is a true privilege for me and an honor to have adoptees come and share their personal stories, but more importantly for today, your willingness to come and talk about not only your adoption journey, Dana, but also you're living in the moments of grief and that's hard to share. So big hugs to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. And, and I wish you such great success. You are always welcome here to come back anytime. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wandering Tree Podcast. Please rate, review, and share this out so we can experience the lived adoptee journey together. Want to be a guest on our show? Check us out at wanderingtreeadoptee.com.